You got it. I can't remember where you read from, that's why I asked you. Was it in Chronicles? Yeah, I, was, I read from 2 Chronicles 16. It just says this. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully turned towards him. Yeah, that's good. I think it's, uh, Andy read that when we were praying before the meeting and then Sally brought the contribution she bought and I, I think my heart's racing because I do think that you need to hear this morning that the eyes of the Lord are upon you. The eyes of the Lord are upon you and that might freak you out. You might be sitting there thinking, I don't want the eyes of God on me. I don't want him to see me. I quite like being hidden. That's okay, fear's an appropriate reaction to God looking at you. That is a completely appropriate reaction to the living God who created your inmost being, who knows every thought that goes before you, that he sees you. And that should make you a bit fearful. It might also make you feel incredibly valued and loved, that you're not unseen. The worst reaction is apathy, though, that you don't care. That is the absolute worst reaction to the eyes of the Lord are upon you. To say, I don't care. <laughs> Couldn't care if he sees or not. To either say, Lord, please, I'd rather you weren't looking. <laughs> or to say, oh, thank you, Lord, that you see me today in my moment. Both of those are completely appropriate reactions, but the worst is apathy towards it. And I, I want to read a little bit from Acts 16, but as I do, and I, I went to the back, I, like, and you will see us, sorry if I, we wander around, like, it's not, I'm not trying to read your phone while we're doing that, or check what you're doing, I'm not. Just wandering, praying, asking, has God got words for you? And my heart all week has just been drawn, I don't, David, have you got them? Yeah, I've got them. I just told David, if you go to Morrison's for me and get me a bunch of flowers. Oh, he's, oh you've really made it weird, you've hidden it in another room. Okay, <laughs> great. Could you just give them to Judy Samuels just over there for me a second? And you might think this is out of order that I'm picking someone out. But I just, Julie, I was praying for you this week and just thinking about you. Oh, hold on. <laughs> Go on, give her the, yeah. Hey, yeah, but it's, it's, Judy's just over there. She's there. Go on, keep going. Judy's just there. Now that, that could make you think, why does Julie get chosen? Why does Julie get chosen for a bunch of hours? Because she does. I ain't got to answer that for you. She gets chosen. Now, I'm going to read Acts 16 together today. And as I read it, you might think, it's unfair that God chooses people. Or you might think, isn't it amazing that God chooses me? You could look at it two ways. You could say, why? Why does that person got chosen? I'd like a bunch of flowers, please. I think the reason we react like that is because we don't think that God's got enough flowers. If you react in that way, it's because you don't actually think that God's got enough. I haven't got enough. I, I couldn't say to David, go buy 500 bunch of flowers, but I could ask him to buy one for someone who I just want you to know. God sees you today. We see you. We love you. And in that reaction, God sees and he loves and he chooses. And then we get an ability to re respond as well. Judy could have thrown those flowers back in David's face if she wanted. She's very welcome to have done so. I don't want the flowers. I don't want them. You can respond to God in that way. I don't want your love. I don't want you. I don't want to know you. You can do that to God or you can receive the love of God that he gives freely to you through the sacrifice of his son on the cross. And the danger is if you say, well, why didn't he do that for me? He did it for the whole world, for everyone that would choose to believe. He gave in of himself because he has enough flowers 
He doesn't run out. He can give towards us freely as he chooses. Well, that should change the way that we respond to him. Because our, our greatest worship is in response to the God who initiates. Our greatest worship is not through us striving and trying to do something. It's through saying, God, you have done this on my behalf. I receive this freely. I didn't beat someone else for it. I didn't win a raffle. I didn't fight someone. I wasn't stronger. I wasn't better looking. I didn't do anything better than anyone else. I was just chosen by God and I respond to his love and therefore I worship him for it. That is the most purest worship and he loves it when we respond in that way. Nothing to gain, nothing to try and win, no extra bunches to receive. Just receive the goodness and grace of God and say thank you, like Andy said this morning. That's all he longs for. And I promise you, when 500 people gather together and they just collectively say thank you to God, that is a powerful place to be. It's a place that transforms the community, it transforms the atmosphere of this place. A group of people who are just indebted and grateful to the living God. So we're going to read a little bit from Acts 16. And the reason I picked a few people here is because I'm going to need the three of you that were singing. You're going to be characters for me um, in Acts 16 as we go. Um, I'm actually, Joe, could you come join me as well? Come on, Joe Gilmore. Where is he? Is that, yeah, he didn't. He was waiting for a surname. Joe, just because I'm going to talk about the F word that, um, that Jürgen didn't mention last week. Um, and so I decided to pick Joe because he's going to be Timothy, thought me. Um, and so you all thought that Jürgen said, I'm not going to say the F word because you thought he was being rude. He was, you know, that would be a very bad F word to say in church. He just didn't want to say foreskin. Okay, just break the ice in all of his, you know, <laughs> in all, he just, he said, I I'm not going to say the F word today. Well, I'm going to make up for it because I start in Act 16 by having it. And so I'm really sorry, Joe. Don't worry, there's no live, you know, illustration. I just want you to catch the picture of this. Okay, Acts 16. So Paul went on to Derby, 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 and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. I'm sorry about that. Um, the brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. There you go, getting spoke highly of here. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. You want to take him on, on mission. You want to take him on journey. So we took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places since they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now that's an interesting moment. How would you respond to that? I've just asked you to come on a missionary journey with me and I've said, I'm really sorry, but your dad was a Greek. Your mum's a Jew. And as Jürgen so well pointed us to last week, actually there's nothing in and of itself that is saying, well, I have to now start being Jewish if I'm not Jewish, or that I have to not be Jewish if I am Jewish, that we're able to equally come before God. There's something about Timothy, Joe here, who did not get circumcised as a boy, which would have been a much easier job for him as a Jew than a poor, probably a teenager, or slightly a bit older, maybe in his early 20s, like Joe is. Joe's a student here studying, that's a big ask to be told, by the way, what your mum and dad didn't do at eight days old, would you consider doing now for me? Because we're about to go on ministry, missionary journey with each other. And Timothy said, yes. He, yeah, he probably did say ow as well. But, but he said, yes. What does that say about Timothy? I can't speculate any further as to why. Now, I think there's lots of reasons. Maybe, maybe Paul just didn't want poor Timothy's mum to constantly get criticism of saying, well, you were the Jewish member of this relationship. Why didn't you do it? Maybe he just wanted to honour Timothy's mum and say, okay, it's fine. Let's get it dealt with now so that we don't get questions on the journey as to why you didn't as a good Jewish boy. 
But I don't, I don't really want to speculate as to why. I just want to say God loves it when we say yes. He loves it when we just say yes to him. Now let's, you know, let's hope that that isn't the call of God that we're being asked to. And no one here today is asking anyone to be circumcised. But it's just that ability to sometimes say yes to God. I don't know why. I'm not even going to try and get all the reasons behind it. I'm not going to intellectualize this whole thing. I'm just going to say, okay, God, you've asked, yes. Whatever the cost, yes. Joe, thank you. <laughs> I think it's interesting because Timothy then grows in the faith. That's an interesting way into his own discipleship journey of knowing God. But an amazing part as well, I think that that sort of attitude set the trajectory of Timothy's discipleship to be an obedient follower of Jesus. An amazing reaction to have. As they travelled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles. That's maybe interesting as well, because they might have been saying things they didn't want to say yes to. But he's standing there saying, hey, I just asked Timothy to do this. And he said, yes, I'm not asking you to do this. Are you, are you willing as well? Anyway, um, they, they, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem um, for the people to observe. So the church was strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Amazing. Then they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They had been, um, they had been forgive, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to work, to speak the word in Asia. That's an interesting, again, I, ain't got, I, I'm, I feel like Jürgen spent ages giving us a full course meal. I feel like I'm giving some, some really just, you know, a bit of jacket potatoes and beans today. But um, that's again, interesting. The Holy Spirit forbade them to speak the word in Asia. But when they came to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Again, interesting. <laughs> Passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him. Cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God called us to preach the gospel to them. Again, as much as I could cut, I've read a few bits on this this week, and as much as I could get to is I wrote down to myself, I don't know how he stopped him. I don't know why he stopped him, but I do know that God stopped him. <laughs> That's about as much as I got. I don't know how and I don't know why, but I do know who. That's about sometimes we get to in life. I don't really know how this is going to happen. I don't really know why God is doing it, but I do know who's doing it, because God's sovereign and he chooses to do as he pleases. So if he, through a dream, calls Paul and Timothy and says, come on, come to Macedonia, come to Greece, come and preach the gospel here, they say yes. And if he says, no, you can't go into Asia and you can't go into bits of Turkey that you might have been thinking about, if he says no, I don't know why, I don't know how he said no, but they said yes. That again, it's just, I'm simple, so keep things simple for me. Sometimes I won't always understand the how, I won't always know the why, but I do know the who, and I trust him. So if he calls me, I'm going to say yes, because I'm going to say yes to God. Uh, just, just as a little interlude here before we come across. Next week, 
You might have noticed that I'm, actually I won't reveal it all very quickly, but next week we're going to have an international um, lunch with each other after church. We really love people just to bring food to celebrate culture across the life of this church. We love diversity. We love the fact that God's actually gathered us from all different walks of life, all different nations and tribes and languages and tongues that gather with each other. I love the fact that this is the most diverse place that my kids come to. Their school is not hugely diverse in Roselands, but church is much more diverse than their school. And I love the fact that friendships they make here are more diverse than the friendships that they make in the, my community. I wish they had more diverse friendships, but I love that they find them in and through the church. And so next weekend, what I'd love us to do is to celebrate diversity across the room. And I want you to find subtle hints to suggest, because one of our big things we say here is we want you to find unexpected friendships. You don't know. I found loads of best friends in this room, and they just turn up out of nowhere. I didn't realize they were going to be my friend, and then they were. Now, I'm just keep catching Tico's eyes. An Albanian friend of mine, when I turned up here, an Albanian friend who I start playing football with, then moves away, moves back to Albania, moves back to China, turns back up in Eastbourne, and man, how nice is it to be friends again? <laughs> I love having an Albanian friend. I love that connection. I found that through the church. I found that through here, through this place, through finding my unity in Christ together with someone that's a brother. And I'm going to get to enjoy all eternity with him. And I get to enjoy a bit of it now on this life. And so I'm wearing a t-shirt today and next weekend what I'd love to do is find loads of ways to subtly just point references to maybe places that we have grown up, maybe places that we're from, maybe places that our family have been from. And it's interesting because you would wear this and ads immediately presume that this is Ukrainian because it's got yellow and blue and that's a football shirt, I'm sure you can guess that. But it's actually, it's not, necess- it's not a football shirt for Ukraine, although that could be a great thing of solidarity standing there. This is actually a football shirt. Do you know it? Come on. Do you know it? This, this team here is Apoel Nicosia. This is a Cypriot team. And the reason I'm wearing it, the reason I'm wearing it today is because my neighbour across the road, Andreas Artemiu, who's Christina, um, is Christina's dad. So Christina comes here. Um, and Yvonne as well. Yvonne's not here this morning, but her husband. He used to play for Apoel Nicosia when he was a boy. So he played from when he was about 21. He played, and he's got newspaper cuttings, and it's his birthday today. So how did I want to honour him for his birthday? I went over the road, and I said to him, banged on his window first thing this morning. I gave him a card, and I said, I'm wearing the shirt from the team that you used to play for. And he's got a little scarf now for him. And why did I do that? Because I want to make an unexpected friendship. I want to honour a little connection that I've got going on there. Next week, turn up to church and try and find an intentional way to honour other people and find connections with people. Just find it. Just... Go for it. Bring foods. Wear a football shirt. Wear something. Don't, don't overstress about what you look like, whether or not someone makes sense of it. You're just showing an act of kindness in connecting with other people. And next week, let's do a bit of that. We're going to sing a bit. We're going to pray a bit. We're going to celebrate that the good news of the gospel went into Greece, didn't it? It went into Greece and it bore much fruit because of this missionary journey that we're looking at today. So next weekend, next Sunday, bring some food, wear some clothes, celebrate your own cultural heritage, celebrate the places that you've come from. What did I say? Did I say something bad? Did I say wear clothes? Easiest way to find out if we've been circumcised or not. You know, that's... That was inappropriate. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know. Okay. Come on, let's keep reading God's Word. Because that's... It's going to be better for us. Um, Okay. 
Right, so now what I need is I need my characters. So I've got, Lydia's going to stand here. Matia, you've got probably the worst job, I'm sorry. And Boss, you're here as well. You're going to be the jailer in a minute. So Matia's here. You'll pick up who the characters are in a second. Um, okay, let's just read this. So from Troas, and you might just want, I, I know you can't put them up at two times, sorry. Um, you can put a map in a minute just to show where it is if people like maps, but don't worry about it now, Dunk. Um, from Troas, we put out to sea and we sailed straight for Samarath. And the next day on to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony, and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to women that were gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyresia, responded to what Paul was saying. The Lord opens her heart, oh sorry, was listening. The Lord opens her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. And after she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us to. So we get, this is the first character that we introduce to here. An affluent, doing well woman, searching for God. She's looking for answers. There's something here. She's in a place where she's interested but it's still involved. Now, what was the key that unlocked this woman to knowing God's? The Lord did it. The Lord opens her eyes or opens her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. If the Lord hadn't opened her heart, she would have stayed closed. She might have been searching, but involved the Lord opening her heart. And in doing so, she responded to God. A woman that was chosen. Okay? Mentioned, chosen. Second one. And as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us. I'm really sorry. It was just the order that you were standing in. A slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the Most High Gods. She did this for many days. I don't know why, again, but Paul was greatly annoyed. <laughs> Paul was greatly annoyed. And turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. So what was the, what, again, what's the key to unlock this slave girl? Now, she's not, she wasn't affluent. She hadn't made her own way in the world. She wasn't even really actively looking or pursuing God. But God opened Lydia's eyes. But then this one was just being annoying. But strange way to be annoying because what she was doing to be annoying was saying, this is a way of salvation. These are servants of the Most High God. There was something though about the spirit that was at work in her that couldn't help itself but predicting who this one was. She was a bit of a victim, actually, in this situation. She wasn't an affluent woman. She didn't have her own way of making money. She didn't have her way of, of control. She didn't have her own home. She was a slave. She was a victim of the, of the situation that she found herself in. And yet in that moment, again, chosen by God, God speaks and says, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out. And it does right away. Again, why? Because God speaks. Because when God does something, it happens. He's sovereign. He chooses as he pleases. We ask, and that's an amazing dynamic here. And that first one, she's listening. God just opens her eyes while she's inquiring. In the second one, 
She doesn't even ask for the spirit to come out. Someone else asks on her behalf, but yet God responds to the, the request here that comes of Paul. Come out, and it does so because it obeys. When our owners realize this, that their hope of profit was gone, they seize Paul and Silas and drag them into the marketplace to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They're Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us Romans to adopt or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against them and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail and they ordered the jailer to guard them carefully, receiving such an order. He put them in the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. So now that's the response to what they've done. Now, third part of God choosing. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Again, that's an interesting thing to do in the circumstances. We're called to sing, pray, and rejoice in God. And the prisoners were listening to them. People listened to our prayers. People listened to our singing. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. This time, they didn't even ask. They was, she's searching, she's trying to find answers. Someone asked on their behalf, doesn't even bother asking and God opens doors just through praise and worship. Why? Because he's sovereign. Because he does what he pleases. God chooses as he wants. He chooses to open someone's heart. He chooses to set someone free from, from a, a spirit that has kept them to deliver them from this spiritual oppression and he chooses to release people from prison cells. Even that's an interesting connection between the fact he's opening physical prison cells after opening the prison cells of someone's heart where they're stuck and bound because of a spirit that has grabbed hold of them. And they can't seem to break free of it. Like I was saying this morning, God, are you shaking some chains off today? I think that's why my heart's racing because I think God does want to shake some chains off. He wants to set some people free from their prisons that they find themselves in. And then what happens? Everyone's come, chains come loose. And when the jailer woke up and saw that the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. He knew it would be his fault. He knew that it, even though it wasn't even his mistake, he felt guilty for what had taken place. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas, and he escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and all your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds right away. He and all his family were baptised. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. They are three incredible encounters crammed into this one little moment of just Paul being obedient, Paul and Silas being obedient to arrive into Greece where God's called them to, to open the words, to search for people, to share the good news of the gospel, and then God does the work. That takes so much pressure again off us as Christians. 
Because the, there's a little thing, it's really interesting. Like The whole point of Acts is written by Luke. So Luke's picked it up, and actually it's an evangelistic gospel in its heart. It's to try and encourage people to be those that go and proclaim the good news of who Christ is. You would think that the theology or doctrine of election would not do a great job in the middle of this thing. Because if I get told all of a sudden, Mark Poston will get saved regardless, I might not bother doing any work. Because the doctrine of election teaches me Mark's chosen. I don't have to do anything. That could be a really dangerous premise to put in the middle of a book that's meant to encourage us to be evangelistic. Because in doing so, we say, well, it's all God, not me anyway. So I'll just sit around and wait for God to do it. They don't seem like they're behaving in that manner. But that is a danger that some Christians or some that have read this book fall into the trap of doing. But actually, then it's really interesting because in two weeks' time, when we read Acts 18 together, and Paul ends up in another city called Corinth, Paul has a dream one night. And God says, don't be afraid, keep on speaking and don't be silent. For I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you and hurt you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed there for a year and a half teaching the word of God among them. The doctrine of election does not cause us to be lazy. It teaches us to say, God chooses. I'm going to proclaim the gospel because God's going to choose people that I tell the gospel to. (laughs) He's going to draw people to himself because he desires that all would be saved. You see that if you're in the letter to 1 Timothy later, that character we had, there's a letter that Paul writes to Timothy where he says, I desire that all would be saved. I have a desire that all would respond, all would receive my bunch of flowers that I give to them, all would receive the good news, the good news of the gospel, that they would receive it and enjoy it for themselves. And so as a result, should we therefore not say anything? No, it tells me, say it even more. Tell even more people the good news of election because God has chosen people that will, whether they try against it or not, will respond to the love of God that's being shown to them. The more that I talk about it, the more seeds that I plant, the more opportunities that I give for God to be at work, the more they get drawn into the plans of purpose. Because I believe that, again, when I was praying this stuff through, I'm saying, God, I know that you've chosen people in Eastbourne. There are many of your people in this town. There's a few of us, but there are many of your people in this place. Who's going to tell them? Who's going to show them the love of Christ? Who's going to point them towards God? Who's going to invite them into church? Who's going to bring them towards the good news of the gospel? Who's going to ask them to come to Alpha with them? Come on, church. See, God has many of his people that he longs to rescue and save. He is at work. He's the sovereign God. When he begins something, when he initiates something, it happens because he's sovereign and he rules and he reigns over everything and therefore we can trust him. And so now in this place, this is where we're going to pray. Because when it comes to the table in a second, we're going to start to pray with one another. So I don't know, John, if you, yeah, let's, I just, in a little attitude, I want us to take some of the words that we've received, some of the confidence that we found in God's word. I promise you, not all the answers. So much more I could say to try and draw through. Let's read the Bible for yourself. Read it, study it, enjoy it, think it through. But I want to take the spirit of what God has said in and through this little passage to remind us that we come before a sovereign God today. So I just invite you just to close your eyes where you are. I want to start by saying thank you, God, that election does not allow me to boast. Like Andy said this morning, my, my password into this is thank you. 
I don't boast because I'm chosen. I rejoice because I'm chosen. I say, why me? Why did you rescue me? Why did you rescue Lydia? Why did you set free a slave girl? Why did you rescue a Roman jailer? Why me? Whether I was looking, whether I was searching, whether someone else asked on my behalf, whether it just happened through praise and worship, why me, God? And all I can say is thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for that your eyes would even bother to look at me. Thank you that I would be of any value or worth to you, that you would call me your own. Thank you, Lord, that you've brought me into your people. Thank you, God, that you've included me in your promises. Thank you, God, that you've caught me up in your plans. Thank you, God, that you made a way for me. I didn't deserve it. I know better than anyone else, and yet you chose me. Thank you, Lord. You could just start to say that to him. Just thank him. Thank you, Lord. Say thank you to him. Thank God for his salvation. Thank you, God, that I know I can't convince anyone of the gospel. I can present it. I can share it. I can tell it. But I can't save anyone. Thank you, God, for that truth. Thank you, Lord, that salvation belongs to you and you alone. You are the only one that can save. Pressure's off. All you call me to do is to be obedient, to proclaim your words, to live a life that is pleasing to you. All you call me to is to love you and love my neighbour, to point people towards the sun. Thank you, you've given me your Holy Spirit to help me in doing that. But thank you that the pressure is off because I can't save anyone at all. That's all yours, God. It's all your work. And so I ask today, God, save people. My mind is already being drawn to individuals that I know need to know you, Lord. I'm saying, God, save them today. Save them through our praise and our worship. Save them through my asking. Save them through their inquiry, Lord God. But rescue the lost, I pray today. God, do it. Would today be a day of salvation, Lord? God, would you draw people towards your Son? Would they find hope and forgiveness? Would they find resurrection life in you and you alone? Spirit of God, we need your help now. I need your help to pray with confidence, God. I need your help. help Holy Spirit, help faith grow in me now as I ask these things. Holy Spirit, we need you. We long for you, God. Work in and through us, your vessels here on this earth. Thank you, God. This is all on you, Lord. Lord, and I just ask now, just while we've got our eyes closed. Lord, I just ask my friends that are in this room that feel like they have chains in their arms. We already started this in worship. God, just set them free. Open the doors. Please, God. I want doors that they can walk out of. God, I, I want to pray people would walk out of those doors full of confidence to know that who the sun sets free is free indeed. 
If Jesus says it, I am free. He is the true one who holds every key. The keys to life and death are in His hands. No one else's. You hold the keys to life, Jesus. Open the chains. Open the locks, open the doors now in the mighty name of Jesus. I ask these things. We come before you now, mighty God, and we ask that you would do it for your glory, for your fame, for people's good. Set them free, Lord God. From sickness, I pray now in the name of Jesus, set people free. God, from pain, in the name of Jesus, set people free. God, from addictions, I pray in the name of Jesus, set people free. God, from spirits, you know, I'm talking about spiritual darkness. Spirits of evil that exist in our hearts. God, we can be spiritually oppressed by all sorts of things. I'm saying now, by the name of Jesus, would those spirits be gone? God, would they flee? God, would people be free today? And we ask it in Your mighty name. Do it, we pray. We trust in You, God. No one else but You and You alone. If God's really resting on you now in this moment, would you just stand with me? Just, we've been sitting for a minute. If God's, there you are. I think God's just resting on a few people. It doesn't matter in what part of that is, but if God's resting on you, just stand before Him now. The eyes of the Lord are upon you. If you need to know that, stand before the living God. As Andy said, he seeks, his eyes look across the earth. He's looking for people today. He's looking for people to save. He's looking for people to set free. He's looking for people to bless. He's looking for people to open their hearts. Jesus, you see every individual that stands before you now. Give them what they ask. God, give them what they ask now, I pray. All that they long for. Release the longings of their heart to them, I pray. You have all the flowers. Just pray now, just say. Just think, Tom, God wants to give you a bouquet of flowers now. He does. He wants to give you a giant spiritual bouquet of flowers to say, these are yours. These are for you. Chris, he sees you. Mary, he sees you. Tess, he sees. Malcolm, he sees you. Oh, Lord. Lord, you see us. Thank you, Lord. sing but just stay in the, I'd say if you're sitting stay seated let people stand before God you can join them to stand as well but we're standing before the living God do business with him this morning and sing together Jesus at the center of 